So, uh, before we start this episode, well, a little bit of a confession to make. I recorded it in a cave, or an attic, or, as you'll find out, the wrong microphone, so it sounds a bit crap. I'm sorry, I think. Enjoy it anyway. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I, your erstwhile host, folklore annoyed, freelance RPG writer and mad scientist take you on a tour of folklore, myths and legends from across, 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 uh, yeah, across the globe with some inane drunk ramblings occasionally thrown in. And no, I'm not drunk yet. Uh, I say yet. Probably not at all in this episode because it's too hot and I'm sweating already. I don't know why because it's not actually that hot today in Germany. Anyway, so in this episode I'm going to actually look at some of the history um, of Heidelberg which is the town or city kind of where I work. Uh, it's a town in Baden-Württemberg in the south of Germany, kind of on the edge of Bavaria. We live in, I live in a little village kind of near there and there's lots of trees and things. It's really pretty. Um, yeah, so I'm going to tell a little bit of the history of Heidelberg because there's some cool stuff there. And then I'm going to look at some folklore. I've actually managed to find some folklore um, from around the surrounding area of the Neckar Valley. Um, I'm going to split this episode up into two episodes because I don't actually have enough time to record all of it tonight. So I'm going to do a little bit of history and a little bit of short stories from this area, some little fun things. And then I'll do another one where I do some of the longer stories from Heidelberg itself. But yeah, so um, a big massive shout out to Jürgen from Sunken Castle's Evil Poodles on Patreon and his website, the German Folklore Map. Both will be linked in the show notes, um, so do go check them out. Jürgen has managed to translate lots of, um, like hundreds of traditional old German folklore and folk tales and uploaded them on www.sunkencastles.com and if you go to that and then go slash German folklore map, um, you can actually search around Germany, you can click on areas, you can get them from there and they are most of them are in the public domain so you can go and explore them to your heart's content go and have a look at some of them they are quite cool it's really nice that he's made them kind of free to the public so do go check them out and i do recommend going to the patreon as well because um, you'll get early access to the stories and some other goodies as well a lot of the the, the folklore that i'm going to talk about today has come from him and from his re- from his sources there are other bits um that I'm going to talk about that have come from elsewhere, but these are kind of more well-known and not not the oldest tales or the weirder tales, shall we say. And if you've seen this title, yes. Yes, we're going to talk about yeeting bees and colour-changing poodles today. But first, we're going to have a little bit of a history lesson. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, maybe a cup of tea, and prepare for some history with um, added Nazis, unfortunately. So, content warning, there's Nazis here. So yeah, um, one thing that Heidelberg is kind of famous for within history, so we're going to go back 600 to 200,000 years ago, some period around then, a bloke died. Um, and he's known as the Heidelberg Man, and he died at a nearby town called Mauer. Um, only his jawbone was discovered in around 1907. Um, and scientific dating seems to say that he's one of the earliest evidences of human life in Europe, depending upon how you class humans and what, what genealogy of 
Homo sapien you're looking at. But it is it is now used as a um, a dating tool. Um, I didn't really look into it because I don't want to go into archaeology. But if you are interested in archaeology, um, in about an hour's time, I'm well, hours time of me recording this um, in the past for when you're listening to this, we're going to be doing um, our our. Argacon, which is an archaeology gaming convention online. Uh, me, Fiona, Mark are going to be doing uh, some RPGs based around archaeology and humans. Uh, it will be on Twitch, uh, it will be on YouTube, and uh, I'll link all that in the show notes as and when it's done as well. So go check that out. Should be a lot of fun. Audience participation. So yeah, onwards from the archaeology. Um, around the 5th century BC, so 500 years before he was born. Um, there, there was a Celtic fortress and refuge um, built on top of Heiligenberg, or the Holy Mountain, which is the north side, if I'm getting my directions correct. Let me get a compass out. I think it's the north side of the river of Heidelberg, um, on the side of the river that I work on, away from the castle. Where's my compass? Uh, kind of, well, I, I suppose, uh, yeah, likely the north side of the river. I can do I can do directions anyway. One side of the river, uh, <laughs> uh, there's 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 a hill and there was a Celtic settlement on on that hill um, for quite some time. There have been dis- there have been traces discovered of civilizations on the hill that date back as early as 5000 BC. So it's it's quite a, a long settled area around here. Um, in around 40 AD. Uh, some people decided to come and occupy it, those being the Romans. So they come along, march in, go, Oi, we want that hill. It's quite a good defensible place, so we're going to have it. And so they built um, a, a nice little encampment um, there. And they built a bridge across the rivers using wood and stone and stuff. And that was kind of the start of the first really pretty bridge, shall we say, in, in Heidelberg. There's a really nice bridge here in Heidelberg. It's quite famous. Um, the Romans kind of stayed here for a couple of hundred years, uh, around 260 AD, they, they, they upped and vanished. And the German tribes kind of beat them up and went, Oi, give us our land back, we'll have that back, please. And so they did. Um, and there was also shrines and other things and temples on top of that early Celtic settlement. Now, there is something a little bit weird about that Celtic settlement, but we'll come to that in a bit. So yeah, um, after the after the, the Romans buggered off, um, the Middle Ages decided to roll in. So there's a there's a couple of hundred years missing in this history. <laughs> the, the Middle Ages rolled in, and uh, lo and behold, the Christians came over, because that's what they do. They come in and do things. But what they did here is around the around the early 12th century, um, some Benedictine monks decided that they they. Um, liked the area, and they walked up the hill and went, hmm, people who lived here before, maybe we can. And they um, built two monasteries on top of the hill. Uh, there are uh, some remains up there, sorry. Um, so yeah, they built, uh, the Benedictine monks built two monasteries on top of the top of the hill. Uh, one of them is called Michael Kroshta, or St. Michael's Monastery, and it was built exactly where the Romans built their temples and the Celts before them. It's uh, one of the oldest parts of Heiling, Heil, Heiligenberg uh, that is still around. 
so one of the oldest ruins that is still here. Um, so there's not much of it left, uh, but you can walk up it, you can walk up the hill to the top of it. It's all surrounded by woods, it's a really nice walk up there. You get up to the top, um, you can see the kind of layout of where it was, and there's two remaining uh, stubs of the former towers. And you can kind of go up, kind of go up one of them. Um, it's a really cool ruin. Uh, I might try and tag some photos somewhere about it if I can, maybe on Twitter. So yeah, it is quite cool, um, but it, it, it is quite a large site. So it must have been quite an important monastery up there. Uh, possibly Catholic, I think. Um, I can't really translate German very well. Um, there's some signs up there which are in German. But yeah, it's kind of quite large, kind of akin to a medieval fortress size. But yeah, it was a centre of um, culture and religion on top of a hill. Um, but at the same time, as I said, there were two. So there was there was um, Michael Kloster, Michael Kloster, and then there's St. Stephen as well. The, the, what's now left is the, the Watchtower of St. Stephen, or Stefan Kloster. And this was built around 1090, where a Benedict monk, Benedictine monk named Arnold, he recently joined the, uh, the order. He kind of jumped in and went, oh, isn't this great? Let's climb on top of a hill and join these wonderful people and have this wonderful view over the river and things. Um, he built a, a small chapel not too far away from uh, Michael's Kloster. And um, the provost of Michael's Kloster went, that's really nice. You've picked a really nice spot there. I'm going to have it. And so um, he added a church to the small little chapel and you ended up with this small kind of offshoot monastery. Um, it's literally about 500 metres away from each other. The, the benefit of uh, St. Uh, of Stefan Kloster is it's right on the edge of the hill there's a really nice clearing and if you there, there's a full tower still there uh, and you can kind of you, you do get an absolutely fantastic view over the river and of Heidelberg down below and at the time it wasn't there when they built this but you can actually now look over and you can see the, the ruins of the castle that are there on the other side of the river so it's actually a, it's well worth walk, walking up the hill just to see these two two ruins shall we say so yeah um you have those, they were built up there. Uh, what happens next? Um, not much, so they, they survive for a couple of hundred years um, and they start to fall into disarray. Uh, the bell tower collapses in 1503 and unfortunately that killed the last three remaining monks. So there's only three monks there and one of the bell towers collapsed and it just so happened to be at the time that they were kind of in the bell tower and they died, kind of ending the reign of the monasteries on top of the hill. The, the area then kind of remained unused for a while. So nothing really much happened and the, the monasteries then fell into even more disrepair. But uh, the university in Heidelberg is, is quite a well-known university in Germany. It's quite a bit, uh, prominent university. Uh, red brick, I suppose you could call it as we would in English. It's a very, very good university. It's where I work, which is quite nice. But Universities being universities and wanting to grow and expand and, and do all these good things, they needed building material. So where do you think they uh, got their building material from? Yeah, they made all the students walk up the hill and nick all the rubble from the, uh, the ruins to build some of their university buildings. And if you find these old university buildings, uh, they are quite nice. Um, it's a very Bavarian town here. There's, the old town is very, very old. 
shall we say. So yeah, the university was founded in like the 1300s, 1360 something. So it's quite an old university. So, but yeah, um, after the university nicked a load of the, 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 the stones to build some of his buildings, the, it was kind of left and abandoned up until 1934. And well, we all know what happened in Germany around this time. Unfortunately, bad people decided to kind of appear and so um, the Nazis turned up and they went, wow, this is a really nice hill with a really good view. Let's use it. And they built a giant amphitheater on top of it. So they built the Thingstadt. Uh, it was like the second Thingstadt that was built. I think it was built in like 1936, I think. Or was that when it was abandoned? Uh, I can't remember. No, it was constructed in 1934. And it was the intention was to use it for outdoor door events, performances, and propaganda. So you see, you, you most people have seen the videos of Hitler giving his speeches in these big propaganda things. It was kind of designed to do things like that. And so yeah, um, they built this thing stuck up there um, in 1934. It didn't really last for very long. Um, and, but during that time, Joseph Goebbels did actually come up and give some speeches to, to like 20,000 people. So it was quite a large area. Um, but by 1936, it kind of, the, the whole idea of building these things stats fell out of favour. And um, a lot of them were just kind of abandoned and rebranded as theatres or public parks and things and celebration areas. So they were not used and it wasn't used as a, a propaganda site after that. Um, I will come into maybe a reason why they might have chosen it, other than it's a really cool hill and this area was. Um, seemed to be quite popular with the, with the, the Nazis and people were quite happy with that. Um, what it is useful now though, so moving on from the, the mass murdering fuckheads, um, the Thingstadt is a popular picnic destination. Uh, so it is a public park. It is beautiful. I know there's a lot of horrible images that you can compare. Uh, attached to it but it is a really really nice place um, and there are up until recently there were celebrations for Hexennacht or Witches Night or Valpurgis Night um, on April 30th and there used to be a lot of underground uh, raves and things and thousands of young people I say thousands uh, of young people lots of young people would go up there and, and kind of hold uh, festivals and, and like raves and stuff and like uh, breathing fire and juggling and all sorts of weird it would go up there and um, they've, they've tried to forbid the event for security reasons and damaging of, of Michael's Kloster and stuff but I'm not sure whether it still goes on or not but I found some information to say that this did happen I think it might possibly still go on I don't know but yeah so I arrived too late to to do this I arrived mid-June so uh, about a month too late to really find out whether that does actually happen it'd be cool if it did though so yeah um, there's that now let's have a look at something else on the hill this is something that I did post up on my Twitter a couple of weeks ago when I moved over here there is something known as the Heidenlock uh, and well it's literally nothing more than a hole in the ground so it's 
it is a very deep hole. Um, it's about three, three to five meters wide and about 50 to 60 meters deep. So it's quite a deep hole in the ground. Um, it's covered in like, a, 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 <laughs> I'd say what, mid nineties, weird park pavilion cover thing. It's a little bit cheap and shoddy covering, but you, um, and then there's lattice work so you can't fall down it because obviously you don't really want to be falling 60 meters deep down this kind of, this, this rock chute. So it is a little bit weird because uh, nobody really knows where it came from or when it was made. All that is known is that is, it is quite ancient and whoever made it put a lot of effort into it. So it's, let's say it's 50 to 60 meters deep. It's quite wide. It's, it is man-made, um, but there's no record of it actually being built. Uh, there are records that uh, the monks of Stefan Costa tried to use it as a well, um, but it kind of proved impractical because one, it didn't have enough water, it would get clogged and require cleaning, and 60 meters of rope is quite a lot of rope. So, But whoever created it, um, it came into existence. And so it's created mythology behind it and its name itself kind of creates mythology. Um, Heidentlock means heathen hole. Uh, one of the translations is heathen hole. So one theory is that the Celts used it as a sacrificial pit. I am doubtful of that one myself personally. Um, I'm not sure why they would throw animals or maybe someone's trying to say they throw humans down there. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit doubtful on that one myself, but um, it could also be used as a symbol of a transition from one life to another. So going into the underworld, obviously you're, you're digging a big hole underground and in the ancient times, people believe that if you dig deep enough, you would enter the underworld because um, you'd be under the world that you knew in a place that was dark and unknown. So, yeah, that, that's kind of that, but there's another story. Uh, this is the Devil Pit. Kind of gets its name, I suppose that name kind of comes from the great French writer Victor Hugo, who, who came to Heidenlock in the 1840s and had a nightly encounter with it. And this is what he used to describe it. And at that moment, I hear a deep, weak, voice behind me utter the word Heidenlock. I turn around. Nobody on the heather. The wind blows and the moon shines. Nothing else. So we've got a little bit of spooky action going on there. Is there are there some dead monks or dead Celts going on um, spooking all the visitors? I need to go up there at night and have a look I think. See if there's any real paranormal activity up there. The, the monks from the two clusters or the two monasteries up there believed that the devil lived at the bottom of Heidenlock, hence the name the Devil Pit. So there were, there were reports of visions and strange illusions when they would go down to clean the pit. A bit like the, the, the pit in Prague, in the castle that I've forgotten the name of, which they built over, but they'd send people down to see what was down in the pit and they'd come back mad. 
I can't remember the name of that place now. Um, go listen to my Prague episode, I think it's in there. Or either that or it's in the Hellcrack episode. So yeah, uh, there's that. Uh, in the 1600s, a geographer by the name of Mathis Quad um, described the story of his brother um, who went into the well for some reason. Well, I don't know why. You've got all these spooky things down there. So we decided we're going to go, you know what, brother? I'm going to go have a look down there and I'll tell you what I see. So he goes down into the well and has a look around and uh, apparently he discovered a room with two doors in it. And within there, there were hounds with fiery eyes that guarded the entrance to the doors. So, hellhounds, maybe? Uh, or some form of hound that guards the entrance way to hell? A bit like Cerberus, maybe? Mm. Cerberus making the trip up from Greece. There's um, other tales that speak about a white goose uh, that was once thrown into it. Uh, and then apparently later the goose was found on the shore of the, the, the river, completely black. Which I suppose you can kind of understand if you if you throw something down into a hole, it might get dirty. And if there is a river that connects it through, it can come out. But also, there's a lot of fucking geese on the river around here. So, um, they're not murder chickens or cobra chickens like you get in, in Manchester that try to bite your ankles as you run past them. Or like, oh, Canadian geese as they're known. These are, these are quite nice chickens, uh, cobra chickens. They don't, they don't bite you as much. They do shit everywhere though, so... Um, maybe they, this one had just been shit on all and it was black because of that, I don't know. But yeah, um, that one's kind of, you can kind of relate to actually the, the topography of the area and the, the wildlife of the area. There's other stories, um, there's one that I will tell in the next episode, which is about a giant, um, that kind of vaguely relates to it. There's, uh, the fact that it might be an old Roman storage room or something that was destroyed by the Byzantine monastery. Um, there's one about a bone room of, of a destroyed gallows. So there would be gallows there and then you die and say, oh, what do we do with your body? We'll throw you down there. But yeah, so there's a lot of weird superstitions uh, based around this, this hole that no one knows how it got there. Ooh, hornets. I discovered um, a couple of days ago that there's a hornet's nest in the roof above me. Uh, and they keep flying past the window, so if I suddenly scream, <laughs> I'll edit it out as a one it attacks them. Uh, but yeah, they're flying past the window at the moment. They're, they're not coming in, which is good. But anyway, yeah, so that <laughs> sidetracks. So there is um, a lot of superstitions and, and uh, supernatural weird shenanigans going on around here. So with with Hitler's little bit of obsession with the supernatural, you can kind of maybe see why they might have become interested in the hill and built the thing shut up there. Um, I didn't look into whether the, the, they decided to go and throw people down that, that well and have a look at it themselves. Because Nazis and paranormal and, and supernatural stuff, that's, that's, that's not a path I want to go down, to be fair. That's a very brief history of Heidelberg and uh, the Devil Pit. Now let's talk about uh, a colour changing dog, because who doesn't need a ghost dog that changes colour? Uh, there's going to be some yeeting bees coming up, and a man without a head. So let's start with the man without a head, or the rider without a head. And so these three tales now, these do come from uh, Sunken Castle's uh, website, so thank you very much Jürgen for this. Uh, the Rider Without a Head is actually from a region called Munkenloch, which is not too far. I think it's about 
two kilometers away from where I live. So I live in a small village or small town um, outside of Heidelberg and Munkenloch is technically part of this town. It is also a small village, not part of this town. It's a bit weird. Anyway, there are, there are some paths that lead across down there and then there's a bridge. Um, and it is rumored that if you cross the bridge, and it's sometimes possible to see a man riding a pale horse who carries his head underneath his arm like a hat, in that very similar style to that we get with most headless horsemen uh, myths. He will pursue you um, across this bridge, and he it comes across and uh, kind of, he'll either pursue you or go like, well, you can cross that bridge or I can chase you off and lead you astray. And uh, then you uh, kind of get lost a little bit. But um, unlike some other riders who, who protect bridges and things, this one, he can't cross ditches, or at least ditches that are, are nearby. And thus, if you decide to want to get away from this man who is trying to chase you and lead you astray, you just go across a ditch and he can't follow you. So yeah, he can also only leave the forest um, via a small short stretch of road. Um, and if he goes too far beyond the boundary, and there's a big stone apparently. Um, I've not been down there yet, I need to go investigate this. Um, and find this boundary stone. Uh, once he gets to there, he kind of vanishes and disappears. But whether this is true or not, we don't know. The story is that he was a land surveyor. Uh, he was around here surveying the land for someone or something. And um, apparently he committed a fraud or something. And uh, now he haunts the area as a punishment. So he came out here looking at some land, trying to trying to do some calculations and things. And went, oh, I can make a bit of money out of this. Oh, I, can, I, can, I can defraud some people here. And then he snuffed it, probably having his head chopped off, which is why he walks around with it under his arm. And uh, yeah, so now he haunts the area as a punishment. So other than going up to the Devil's Pit to see if there's ghosts up there, I need to go find this stone at night to see if I can... Uh, Meet a headless horseman. It's a kind of a very typical headless horseman story. Less banditry involved, but there's a there, there you go. Uh, let's talk about some yeeting of bees before we go into colour changing dogs. So there's a castle, not too one of many castles around here. Uh, there's Berg. There's a many Bergs. Um, and this one is called Dillsburg, uh, not Dilbert, but Dillsburg. Um, so this is a, a story that actually has appeared in a few different places. One of them is Mungenstrom. Uh, it's a little bit, maybe, I don't know, I suppose kind of, but I, I kind of think it could be a true story um, for Dillsburg. So I have visited Dillsburg, I went there a couple of, week, uh, a couple of weekends ago, walked up this fucking great hill. But I didn't realise how tall it was, it was about 33, 34 degrees when I walked up this hill. No shade. Very little water. Mistakes were made. On a Sunday when everything is bloody closed around here. So yeah, um, I walked up this hill and there's a, the ruins of the castle up there. The castle of Dillsburg, or the Berg on top of this, is was, re, was kind of famous back in the day for being... What's the word I'm looking for here? It was nigh on impossible to attack. Um, it was one of the most defensible places Kind of around. So yeah, um, 
there is a there's a report that uh, the castle was allegedly attacked at some point um, and I can believe that it is one of the most defensible and un, un, unsackable castles around because of the hill that it's on uh, it would be really quite hard to get an army up that hill and there'd be big walls at the time so I can believe I can believe that um, so they decided to besiege the castle these people who attacked it and so to repel the hostile assault, um, to get rid of them, all they did was flung beehives at them. They yeeted beehives off the top of the, the castle walls down onto them. And uh, apparently this uh, drove off the, the besieging forces. So, so they stopped the ta castle being attacked by yeeting bees at them. Uh, so hurling beehives down at them. There's another story as well about this place, um, and this one there is a little bit of historical evidence about um, that is related to this. Uh, in the year 1799, uh, the French wanted to take hold of this castle, uh, because why not? It's a good castle and a really good defensible place on, on a river, so it's going to have really good connections as well. Um, but they, they were also thrown back um, and un unable to take the castle. Now the story goes that they were thrown back or, or kind of pushed back by recuperating invalids. So um, people who are unwell or injured or other things like that. Uh, and, and a mob of farmers from another close by village or close by area. And the, the attackers lost maybe 70 people, I think. I think that means the, the attackers, they, it just says they suffered losses of more than 70 dead. So I'm going to guess that that is the attackers. Um, this is still kind of known apparently in the area where they use the term Franz. I'm going to get this wrong. Franzosenhügel, which means Frenchman's Hill, um, and it's where the corpses rest. Not too sure on whether they did eat bees at people. But would be kind of cool if they did but there are also a lot of fucking bees and wasps and, and hornets in this area so could well be um as i say there's a there's a wasp nest above my bedroom and in the kitchen there's a wasp no sorry there's hornet's nest above my bedroom i should say and the wasp nest is below my kitchen so yeah um the French one, there is a, a tale that the, the, the castle was repelled. Uh, there was an attack on the castle and it was repelled. And it was the French who did this. Uh, whether, whether it was done by invalids and farmers, we don't know. And so now the final story for today. And one of the kind of, what I, which sounds like it should be amazing. And I really want it to be more than it is. But it's still kind of cool in a way. The ghostly dog. So this, again, is in the same area. It's near Dilburg. Um, so there is a road that goes from a, a town called Wild Women's Back, uh, which is halfway up a hill, uh, to Dillsburg, which is on top of a hill, not the same hill. There is apparently a black ghost poodle. Um, there's a lot of ghost poodles in uh, Germany. Apparently their ghost dogs around here are poodles, unlike Shuck of England and the Black Dogs of England. These are ghost dogs. And yeah, frequently approaches travellers and, and silently trots alongside them, because good doggo, and doggos are good. But it comes up to you as a black poodle. Doesn't really appear too ghostly, but it's it's a black poodle. So oh, oh look at that! You've got a nice little dog with you. And as you're kind of walking along, you'll go, oh yeah, dog, black dog, cool, okay. But 
the further and further you go along the track, that you'll you'll notice that its fur gradually begins to change colour. By the time you reach a second boundary stone, so there's two boundary stones on the road between these two towns, Wald Wimmersbach and Dillsburg. The dog will appear around the first one, and by the time you get to the second boundary stone, the dog is completely white. So it's gone from dark, pitch black, to completely white. And from there, it will start to darken again and become more and more black. And as you get to the end of the forest, and as, the travel, as, you, as you reach the third boundary stone, the dog has become completely black again. If the dog is left alone, and on the walk and you're just allowed to trot beside you and just kind of allowed to enjoy the walk as you were enjoying the walk yourself it doesn't do anything to you it just likes to to kind of come for a chat with you uh, and, and it won't harm you it won't do anything bad to you it'll just be a nice little poodle little black little little black poodle then a little white poodle with shades of gray in between however if the dog approaches you and you're like Oh, what a cute little doggy! What are you doing here? What do you want? Do you want some treats? Do you want something? You're looking for your owners. Oh, don't do that. That's a bad idea. The uh, the poodle will transform into a huge, mighty giant, which will then slap you across the face and disappear. Because, well, why not? Ghost doggy changes colour, and if you ask it what it wants, turns into a giant, slaps you on the face, and runs off. Isn't that amazing? That is just such such a beautiful little story. There doesn't seem to be much kind of story as to whether this is a, a, an actual ghost that is haunting the area, whether it's just a, a giant that's taken the piss or anything. It's called the ghostly dog and it's it's generally seen as a ghost. There's no real stories as to kind of how it can can be released and, and, and let go and off into the world to, to, to go to beyond, I suppose the word would be. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything about that, apparently. Um, but I kind of see this as uh, very much a mischievous sprite kind of, um, or a mischievous fae creature of some kind, um, running around some kind of shapeshifter, shapeshifting creature. But I think that's kind of cool. That's one of the, the, the fun stories that I found from, from the website. So yeah, that is, um, today's episode. As I say, I have a few more stories from around the area, which I'll go into in another episode soon. I'm unsure of the release schedule at the moment because I've got a few, I've got some people visiting next week. I've got eight person visiting next week. I'm going to get on the podcast. So uh, we might do a, an actual recording in person. And then I've got some other things planned as well. This would probably have been a great like, great time to do the um, Lugnasa episode with Fiona, but again, timings and things have not matched up. The Lugnasa episode will come out, and we will do that, but it's not going to be on or around the time of Lugnasa, unfortunately. So, but that will come out, and we will do we will do one. We will finish the series and do the four Celtic festivals. And yeah, go check out us playing some games in about about forty five minutes or so um, from where I am at the moment, but in the past for where you guys are. So um, I'll put all the links and things in the show notes for that. I've no idea what's going to happen with that. It's going to be absolutely crazy. And we have a few other things coming up on on the probably the YouTube if I can or if I can convince someone to actually stream from me because my internet is crap on the Twitch. So we're going to be doing some more gamings, uh, 
Tom's going to be doing some gamings for us and some other things are going to be happening as well. So it's all good fun. Things things are slowly getting back to, to normal. These episodes are probably going to be a little bit more haphazard coming out uh, as I try to figure out my life, I suppose, or how to kind of create a schedule of things because I've got some other RPG things happening in the background which are kind of cool as well. So yes, anyway, I'm rambling and I should probably stop rambling. Yes, what you can do is you can go follow me on Twitter that I very rarely post on. Uh, you can watch the RPGs on YouTube, they're all up on there as the Drunken Storyteller. You can send me suggestions and things uh, to the Drunken Storyteller UK at gmail.com if you've got anything you want to talk to me about. And I think, I think that's all I've got to say really. I hope you enjoyed that random little bit of fun there. A bit of history and a bit of weird folklore. Because that's what we like here, isn't it? So uh, I shall leave you to enjoy the rest of your day, evening, weekend, whatever it is you're up to. Have a nice time. All that is left for me to say is goodbye, my friends. <laughs>